page 1105 in the Pubeck Bible in front of you, if you don't have it. I'll give you a minute to get there. Once you get there, say, trust in the Lord. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. We are glad that you're here. Listen, we're continuing in our series, um, Discovering and Doing God's Will. And if it's your first time here or you've missed out on a couple of these, I would strongly encourage you to sort of go back to our website podcast and catch up on those because we've laid a lot of serious groundwork and foundation when we're talking about this massive topic. Just this week, I was at the uh, Popper Bluff Mules homecoming game and go mules, baby. We got the W. It was awesome. But I was talking to a church member and just like, hey, you know, the series has been great. It's been freeing in a lot of ways, but it's also been kind of scary a little bit because, um, listen, any time that we run into God's word, I think oftentimes we forget how many preconceived notions we think we really have. And as Jesus said, new wine, something new, needs new wineskins. And so as we are diving in, I mean, even when we say the phrase, God's will, that is a massive statement. What are we talking about? What are we understanding in this? And just a little bit of review of where we've been. If we've said that, that God's will is sort of like a target for us as disciples, if, if, if we are wanting to walk God's path, what is it? Well, God's will is what God wants. That's what we're saying. Just jelly on the bottom shelf, enough of this theological jargon, what is God's will? God's will is what God wants. And so when we say like, oh, pastor, I just want to, I want to do God's will. I want to be in God's will. What you are saying is I want to do what God wants. I want to be where God wants. I want my life to be ruled by what God desires. The second question is, how can we know what that is? And man, this was great. We said God's will is God's word. That God is not up in heaven saying, I want all these things for you. You better do this. You better do that. You better not do this. You don't do that. Don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, or anything like that. And then just leaves us to our own. And then we've got to like decipher and figure it out. God has written a book and he has written his will down for us. So um, now if, if God's will is a target for our life as disciples and we want to do what God wants and God has revealed what he wants in his word, we learned a couple things about God's will, right? So the first one was if it's a target, the outer ring is God's sovereign will. 
that God wants some things and God's going to get some things, okay? God's sovereign will is like creation. I mean, think about this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first theological concept that we learn about God in the Bible, is that God is a God who creates. And how does he do it? He speaks, and God said, let there be light. Now listen, nothing could stop that light because that is God's sovereign will. We said that God's sovereignty is God's ability to accomplish what God wants. Translation, what God wants, God gets because he's God. So that's God's sovereign will. But now the target gets just a little bit smaller. That's God's moral will. God's moral will is God's written will. So um, we looked at like 1 Thessalonians, right? Um, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. Well, what's that? That's being made like Jesus. So, oh, pastor, how should I live every single day? Well, the end of 1 Thessalonians said, this is God's will, be thankful in all circumstances. So, so God has given us some very specific things about how we should live. And then this is where we just ran into the earth-shattering concept. Once we get closer, all of us are like, okay, God's sovereign will, creation, that's great. God's moral will, I understand all of those types of things. But what's in the center of it, pastor? That's God's individual, specific, color-by-number, step-by-step plan for every day of my life. Who I'm going to marry, what job I'm going to have, what car I'm going to drive. I'm going to do all of those things. And the reality is, is when we look in the scriptures... Um, we learned this scripture, and it's really important to review this. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But what has been revealed belongs to us. Translation, there are some things that God has for us, but the reality is we can understand those concepts, and those are God's. But he's revealed every way that he wants us to live. And so we live shackled to this idea of three years ago, I thought it was God's will to, to take this job and we didn't do that. Now I'm outside God's will. Now God's punishing me and I failed at this and I didn't do this. And so, um, and the reality is, is in the scriptures, we learn that nowhere are we commanded to pursue some secret God's individual specific will for our life. But the reality is the center of the target is a freedom to choose. That God's sovereign will and then God's moral will, how he's revealed that we live in the middle, we can choose. That we have freedom for that. And so here's the uh, last bit of review. What is God's will for my life, Pastor? Like right now, today, what is it? And I love being able with all the authority of God's word to say this. God's will is that we would live God's way as revealed in God's word for the glory of God's son. Listen to me. That I don't care if you're 13 
If you're 18, it's your senior year of high school. You're trying to figure out where to go to college. I don't care if you're graduated college. I don't care if you've got a new career. I don't care if you're 89 or 109. This is God's will for your life. That every single day you would live his way as revealed in his word for the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, but I know that you still have some questions, right? Because you're like, okay, that's like a 30,000 foot view. Like you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that kind of stuff, right? But listen, pastor, I have real specific situations that deal with real specific scenarios, like real specific numbers, like interest rates, pastor. Like, can we just take a moment and pray for interest rates right now, right? I mean, like I need some specific answers on stuff. And you're telling me, like, freedom to choose. I mean, like, what am I supposed to do here? Um, maybe this will be helpful. So a little while back, um, Roman, our oldest, had gotten a little bit of extra money, and he's really into fishing right now. And so he loves fishing with his cousins and doing all kinds of stuff. And so, man, that money was burning a hole in his pocket. And we had to go to Academy and we had to get some new fishing lures, man. And so on the way there, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that, this lure and this spin jig action and all kinds of stuff, right? And so all the way up there, man, this is what I'm going to get. And I just kept saying, hey, you know, you've got this limited amount of money. You got 20 bucks, man. You've got this. You've got this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. And so we get there and man, we're up and down the aisles and we're looking at stuff and oh, dad, look at the color. This is watermelon sun. I mean, just all the details, man, all the stuff. And I can get this many and I'm going to get this one and I'm going to get this one. And he had just his handful of all these lures and stuff. And, and then there was the moment where I got to shatter his whole world. And as a parent, we love those opportunities, right? I got to introduce Roman to a dirty three-letter word that we deal with every day of our life. Tax. Tax. And so it was like, wait, I've got, no, no, no. These five lures add up and it's going to be, oh, but buddy, there's a guy named Uncle Sam who he needs his cut in. And so now it was like, oh, I want this one and that one, okay, but this... And, and, and the whole time he's, he's looking at me and, and what should I do? What should I do? What can I get? And what can I not get? And I just kept saying, hey, you've got $20 and, and you've got to know about this much here for taxes. And so, oh man, this one, this one. And he kept looking at me and he kept looking at me. And, and what he was wanting was for me to tell him what to do. Like, what can I get? You tell me what I need to get. And, and listen, as parents... You know, that is, and, and listen, even if you own a business, you have employees, that is a crucial opportunity in that moment. Because as a parent, our job is not to make the decision for our child. That will hinder our child's future. So if you're making every decision for your child and doing everything and packing the backpack and then you got the and you do that and they're 18 years old, like we've got a situation here, right? We've got to learn how to do some of these things. And in short, what, what Roman was learning how to do in that moment is Roman was learning how to discern what to do. He, he had a general guiding principle, $20 tax, all of these principles, 
And then within the framework of those principles, he was free to make a choice. Um, God's word is just like that to us. Now, there's some things in God's word that God tells us, like straight up tells us there's no discerning. Like, how about one of the top tens, right? Um, Thou shalt not steal. I mean, we don't really need to do a Bible study about that. Right? I mean, that's like God has told us right there the specific thing. You're there at work. You're closing down the restaurant. You're counting the money with the store manager. He's got to get a phone call and you're left in the office and the safe is open and the money is there. And God has spoken, my friend. OK, we don't need to pray about these things. These are extremely clear. But. Just because the command and the word is clear, don't miss this, the application to your specific area in your life might be a little bit different. What I mean by that is you're not going to find in the Bible the exact name of the person that you're supposed to marry. But God has general guiding principles that you would marry someone who loves the Lord and that your role as a wife is this, your role as a husband is this, like these guiding principles. And the word that we're talking about and that the whole topic is today is the word discernment. Please listen to me. I, I don't know if there's going to be a, a much more important topic in this entire series on God's will. If you were to ask me, Pastor, what is the uh, most underdeveloped, least used, and most uh, important thing, spiritual discipline, that a Christian can have that is underdeveloped and not used, hands down, without a doubt, it's discernment. It's discernment. It's this idea of taking the guided principles that God has given us. Thou shalt, your sanctification, all of it. You have $20 and then you got. And then taking that word and applying it to our everyday scenario and our lives. So what is discernment? Well, for the two of you who care, this is what it looks like in the Old Testament original language Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. So it's used one time in the Old Testament, this specific word, and then it's used three times in the New Testament. Now, the etymology of the word, there is a root concept that joins both of the words together. And it's really the, to taste. That, that's really the raw, uncut transliteration is to taste. Then in the context that it's used, it means to distinguish or to judge, or to choose. So you literally, the, the raw understanding of the word is to distinguish and to separate and to judge almost um, by tasting, if you will. And, and so what is discernment? Let's, let's use this as our working definition for the next couple of weeks. Um, discernment is the spiritual discipline of distinguishing God's will, what God wants, from everything else. So let's walk through that. Discernment is the spiritual discipline 
Um, listen, I'm not talking about just general knowledge or wisdom. I'm not like, some of you are like, I mean, I'm pretty good at making decisions. I've sold a few used cars in my day, Pastor, if you don't ask me. Like, I'm not talking about that type of stuff. I'm talking about a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline that we do not have in and of ourselves, but God gives us that is developed over time. Nobody comes right out of the gate just at 100% discernment. This is something that we grow into. And it's distinguishing, separating, choosing, judging this, not this. And you are distinguishing God's will, what he wants, from everything else. And listen, there's a great misnomer in discernment. People think it's it's just theological, or it's just as simple as being able to choose good from evil, light from darkness, God from Satan. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, I love what Spurgeon said about discernment. He said this, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Listen, discernment is not being able to tell just a good thing um, and a bad thing. Discernment is being able to choose between a good thing and a God thing. And that is profoundly different in our life. And in this journey on God's will, we must develop and understand what discernment is. What does it look like in our life? When it all comes together, what's the prime example that we can go, oh, that's discernment. That's great. Um, this is a picture of an author and pastor and scholar by the name of Leonard Sweet. Um, you've probably read some of his books, very famous author. And a few years ago, Leonard Sweet wrote a book called The Gospel According to Starbucks. How to Have and Live with Grande Passion. <laughs> and in the book, um, what he does is, he just basically says, hey, listen, Starbucks doesn't sell coffee. They sell milkshakes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just telling okay. Starbucks doesn't just sell coffee. Starbucks is in the business of relationships. And so it's the third meeting place between your home and work, and let's meet here, let's talk over a cup of coffee, and they're passionate about it. And he just kind of bridges the gap and says the church is supposed to be that. But in the book, he introduced me to a character that I've never known before. Um, this is a living, breathing person who is the gatekeeper. No one else stands at the gate. He is the gatekeeper to a 19 billion, with a B, billion dollar industry. And his name is Ed Faubert. Ed Faubert is what is known in the coffee world as a cupper or a taster, if you will. He tastes coffee and is the number one expert. I even looked this up. This is crazy. His taste buds are certified by the state of New York. That's real. You can look that up. Like expert. He's the guy. Anything about coffee, go talk to Ed, right? Um, he's so good that when he tastes coffee, he does it blindfolded. He clears his palate. And when he tastes the coffee... 
He can tell you, A, what country it's from, B, what location in that country it's from, C, what altitude the plant has been raised at, and a number of things about the soil, what fertilizers were used, and all types of things. I mean, this guy is dialed in. And that is a perfect illustration of how a disciple is supposed to be. A disciple is supposed to be so familiar. I mean, think about how much coffee that man has drank. He probably hasn't slept in two decades, right? I mean, this guy is dialed in. Everything about coffee, familiar with it and all of those things. And we as disciples, to be so familiar with what God has revealed, so familiar with his nature and his character, that when something comes along that's not just black and white, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, or a decision that we have to make, we tap into the taste buds of our discernment and we go, this is really what God has said and really where I think God is leading us. Listen, when it comes to decisions and choices in our life, um, it's crazy that there's tons of studies shown that we're the first generation walking the planet that is paralyzed by too much information. It's unreal. We, I mean, it is paralysis by analysis. It is like, well, what about this? Well, I mean, you eat something and your stomach grumbles and then you make the mistake and go to Google. And it's like, buddy, it's signed, sealed, I'm dying tomorrow. I mean, I have all the symptoms of all the stuff. I mean, we have too much information. And then when it comes to God's will, we think, oh, man, I need to know all this about the Bible. And I hear all of this stuff. No, 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 no. Listen. It's all about Jesus. It really is all about Jesus and being so familiar and in such a relationship with him that when it comes to bridging the gap in our everyday life, that we're tuned in with Jesus. So listen, the, the question that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is, is how do I find God's will in the gray areas of my life? Answer, discernment. Discernment. And, and here's the big idea. Here's God's will for us today. God's will is that we would grow toward maturity in developing discernment. Listen, many of us want to grow in our relationship with Christ. We want to be able to connect the dots in our everyday life. This is it. Discernment is it. I mean, when it comes to reading our Bible, praying, living in community, all of the, those are all going somewhere. They're developing something. They're energy and vitamins towards something in our life. And that something is discernment in our life. That we would be able to distinguish God's will from everything else in our life. And the verses that were read to you in the book of Hebrews are very interesting. The writer of Hebrews is shocked with this church. I mean, it's pretty strong language. I mean, you could translate the entire passage with the words, parentheses, grow up, exclamation point. I mean, literally, he's like, guys, 
you've had this for years and we've been walking with Jesus and doing this, but you guys aren't here. You're still doing this. You're still worried about this. You ought to be teaching, but you don't even understand this stuff. And you have no discernment. What he's saying is, is that these Christians are like, almost kind of like a little toddler baby who's, who's learning to walk, maybe crawl. And anywhere you set them, if anything is on the ground, it is just a matter of seconds before it's in their mouth, right? Just because that's how babies, that's their sensory, they're learning, and what's this? And, oh, the dog put this in the yard. Ah, oh, what's that, right? And all of this stuff. And, and you have to have an adult around. Why? Because it's dangerous. That baby put anything in his mouth, choke or something. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, y'all are like an unattended baby. There, there's no discernment in your life. It's, it's, here it is. Disciples who lack discernment are dangerous. Not just to themselves, but to other people. And so over the next couple of weeks, we are going to practically break down in the positive. What does discernment look like in my life? What do I need to do? What are the things that fuel that? But today is really one of those stop and meditate and marinate where I'm at in my relationship with Jesus. And, and today, it's three signs that, that I lack discernment, that I don't have discernment in my life. That I'm literally um, either A, constantly got to go meet with this pastor or that pastor because I just need them to tell me. Here's the situation and pastor, tell me what I'm supposed to do because you read that book and for some reason I can't. Or it's always going around. Remember we used that illustration of Jack Sparrow with the compass in Pirates of the Caribbean and that compass points to the treasure of your heart. But anytime Jack Sparrow holds it, it just spins because he doesn't know what he wants. So he always has to give it to other people. Many Christians are like that. Tell me, tell me how to uh, raise my kid. Um, tell me how I'm supposed to. Um, tell me how I'm, I'm telling. And, and what you are is you're a 50-year-old baby in diapers. And we laugh, but that's literally what the writer says. So what are some signs that I'm lacking this discernment in my life? Well, the first thing is this. I must be spoon-fed. Look in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Translation, um, the writer is saying, I have a lot that I need to teach you. I have a ton of information. And this is hard, not because the information's hard, but because you are, quote, dull of hearing. That phrase, dull of hearing, is one word that is only used right here in the entire Bible. Do you know what it translates to? Lazy. I have, listen, I have a lot to say, and you have a lot that you need to know, but you're not receiving it, not because the information's hard, but because of laziness. Um, I love what one commentator said. The difficulty arises not wholly from the nature of the subject, but rather from the unpreparedness of the readers. Why is this relevant? Because I believe that this is a phony, fake mask that many immature Christians hide behind. 
I am tired of reading the Bible, and it's hard to understand. But you can tell me about the flux capacitor and how it generates it, or who pitched for the Cardinals in 62. And you like, listen, we we have the capacity, but if we are honest with ourselves, we are dull of hearing. Um, Richard Baxter was a pastor a number of years ago, and he became so burdened for his congregation that his congregation wasn't growing. They had become dull of hearing. And he wrote in one of his pastoral letters these words. Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Here it is. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher. You must open your mouths and digest it, for another can't digest it for you. Translation, receiving the word of God and listening to what you're doing right now is not a passive act. And for some reason in the American Christian church, there is a false unbiblical expectation that that we come in here and that we sit down and we go, okay, feed me, preacher. (laughs) Like sometimes I've heard people say like, oh, I'm just struggling at my church, just not getting fed. I understand a little bit of where they're coming from, but I want to say, is your Bible broken? What, What do you mean? You know, the image that comes to mind is almost like a mother bird feeding baby birds. And what I wasn't going to show you a real picture because that's gross. Okay, like I looked it up and it just I was like, that is disgusting. I can't. So there's a little funny cartoon. But listen, this is a false concept of the American church. Feed it this. Um, What are some ways, some practical ways for maturity in this? How, how can I know that I'm actually advancing in this? And listen, this is, this is coming from my pastoral heart, not just for you, but for Christians alike. Um, how can I know that I'm growing in maturity? Well, listen, here's the first question. Um, do I bring my Bible to church? Now, I want to say, listen, I'm going to set my Bible here. This is not thus saith the Lord, okay? I know. I understand the digital convenience of, of having it on the I have like three study Bibles on my phone and all that stuff. I totally get that. But can I just lay something before you? Number one, um, we do a gazillion things with our phone. And we do one thing with our Bible. Number two, I bet many of us are thankful our grandmama didn't leave us the family cell phone. But rather, you got a Bible, and maybe your grandmother loved the Lord, and in the Psalms, and in Romans, and in the prodigal son, they wrote your name in the margin, and they prayed for you with the date. Listen to me. We are very close to a generation not receiving these things, and it is a legacy passed down to us. Why is it important to bring our Bible to church? Here's a crazy concept. To use it, right? There's a reason why we don't convenience you and put all of the scriptures everywhere for you. We do them sometimes very intentionally. 
And then we very intentionally do not. So you can look those up, which is the second question. Do I look up and read the scripture references? You know what one of the greatest compliments to me is? It happens all the time. Because your boy is like dyslexic, ADD, and I misspell and all kinds of stuff. And so sometimes in my notes, the scripture reference, the numbers are reversed. And it just happened a a week or two ago. A guy was like, hey, I just want to let you know that one scripture verse, it wasn't Matthew 25, 12. It was Matthew 12, 20. I just want to let you know. I was like, you know what I said? Dude, that makes me so happy. Why? Because you had your Bible. You, you are looking that up. And so am I feeding myself and participating with this third question? Um, do I take notes? Listen, I'm not selling anything here, okay? There are tons of studies done that if you sit, just like just sit, and let it wash over you. When you get in your car, you could have a team of scientists say, recall what you just learned, and every study shows that you will forget 70% of everything that I say. Gone, right out the window. And by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're lucky to retain anything. Did I even go to church, right? I mean, you can't remember it at all. When you put pen to paper, the studies show that you retain 60% of what is said. And then actually, if you apply it, you retain around 90% of it. But also, what are we doing with the notes? Like, what, are we trying to start a fire later on? Are we just collecting those things? What, why do we have these things? Which leads us to the last thing. Do I prayerfully review that throughout the week? Listen, if you only ate lunch today, and I didn't see you until next Sunday, you'd look a little different. And I look at many of us, and it's that way spiritually. Now listen, I'm not talking to non-Christians. This isn't for you. We're so glad that you're here. I'm not talking to new Christians who are trying to figure this thing out. Here's what I'm talking to. If this is your third, fourth year here, and it's just washing over you, here's what I'm saying. We have a responsibility to receive God's word. And then we wonder why we can't discern God's voice in our life. That's like complaining about your cell service and your phone's turned off. He's given us his word to get familiar with. Three signs I'm lacking discernment. I have to be spoon fed. Number two is this. I never contribute I only consume. Look at what he says there in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. What do teachers do? They dispense, they give. That's where the action is coming from. They are giving the information. And I love it says, by this time you ought to be. That just reinforces maturity. That there should be progression in this. And the writer is saying, you're not contributing, you're only consuming. Do you know what illustration we've used for this constantly? It's a bib versus an apron. You know, when you're feeding a baby and they're in the high chair and they got the bib on and you're feeding, you're doing all the work. But our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13 took an apron 
And he didn't tie it around his neck. He tied it around his waist. And an apron is the symbol of serving. Listen, by this time you ought to be. Listen, if this is your fourth year in Westside Women and you have no interest in leading a table or in Westside Men, but it's just a constant consuming talking about my... Hey, listen, what if, what if the answer to your prayer is found in leading and serving? Maybe that's why it's a constant glass ceiling. We weren't designed like that. We're designed to dispense. And then the last thing is this. Three signs. I'm lacking in discernment. I'm spoon-fed. I consume. I don't contribute. Then I never apply what I've learned. Verse 14, he talks about, Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is, quote, unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, unskilled in the word of righteousness, not applying, but having all the knowledge. He's saying that you have a ton of information, you're high in information, but you're low in maturity. It's like putting a 10-year-old behind the wheel of a car. You've got all the power at your fingertips and at your disposal, but you lack the maturity in applying it. And here's what the writer's saying. You're unskilled because you're unworked. It's only designed to be applied in our lives. So listen, um, I love this day and age and technology and information and Bible studies and Greek interlinears, and you can have the Bible read to you, and you can do all kinds of stuff. But I firmly believe that the last thing that we need is another Beth Moore Bible study. Or whatever. She's great, by the way. Love Beth Moore. You need to read her books. That's awesome. Um, You need to obey and apply the last study that you went through. And I'm I'm afraid that if we look on our bookshelves at home, we've got half completed in all these studies. But then if we looked at our life, there's a great gap in that. Here's what I'm saying. We do not need more information when it comes to God's will. We need more application of what we already know. Westside, I say this over and over and over again. A majority of the answers that we are seeking in our life for God's will are on the other side of obedience. And God comes to Abram. And says, go to a land I will show you. Abram would have never known where he was going unless step number one was go. It's on the other side of obedience. And so when we come and look and survey this passage, he sums it up with, for they are a child. I I think God desires that we live with discernment. But I'm afraid that a majority of Christians live with deception. And here's what I mean by this. Um, We're deceived in thinking we're more mature than we really are. Church attendance and up and I lived in Papa Bluff 50 years and I've gone to this church and I was born right there on the altar. And I, uh, okay, okay. 
We've created these false signs in our life that comfort us. But I think the number one thing we struggle with, I mean, I, mean, I sense it. I sense it when I'm over that cup of coffee and what do I need to do? And pastor, tell me just, is this the right thing? I've got a busy schedule and I've got a pit. Um, we're a lot like, do you remember the movie Limitless, right? Where, where the guy finds this secret like medicine and it just makes him like handsome, smart, rich, like all the above, right? It's basically all the infomercials that are on from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., right? And like, it's it, it's just in this little thing and he just takes it. The problem is, is as the movie goes on, his body's breaking down and he's dying because the very pill that got him to where he is is also killing him. And the lesson in that is we weren't designed for shortcuts. When it comes to God's will, there's no such thing as a shortcut. We are in this for the long haul. And do you know why? The reason why there is no shortcuts is because God very rarely shouts specific directions at us. No, 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 don't make that choice. No, 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 don't, no, no, don't turn there. No, 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 don't take that job. God very rarely gives us specific directions, but God always is developing discernment in us. He doesn't give us the specific directions. He always directs us to discernment. And here's why. To you, the answer to your situation and knowing God's will is the number one concern in your life. And it's not to God. God is less concerned in the decision you have to make. And he's much more concerned in the person you're becoming. Just like an academy Standing in the fishing aisle, we see the long game. This boy needs to know how to discern, not just given specific answers. So as we close, there's a few application questions for us today to help meditate on our heart. The first thing is this. Have I been trying to find the shortcut to God's will in my life? It's okay to be honest. It's okay. Because I think a lot of the hurt and the pain in our lives wasn't God's will, but it was the consequences of us trying to find a shortcut to God's will. I'll never forget hearing a very famous counselor who dealt with emotional health and all of this stuff. Anytime I sit down with my patients and they're like, hey, I need this and we need that and this is what we've got going on. What do we need to do, doc? Tell us, what do we need? He goes, well, here's what I need you to do. I need you to set your stopwatch to about three years. And then he says he just wash, watches their face go white because we're looking for the shortcut. The second question is this. Am I deceived about my current stage of maturity in my walk? If you don't know how to answer this, maybe you can ask this to your pod. Maybe you can ask this at your men's table. Like, how am I in this emotional season in my life? I mean, I'm doing this, I've got this, but how am I really? And the last question is this. Am I stagnant in my relationship with Jesus? It really is about Jesus. Father God, we come before you today and we're thankful for your word. God, we're thankful that it comforts us when we need comforting. 
And God, we are thankful that it corrects us when we need correcting. God, today we're just laid bare before you in this place. And God, if we were honest, the temptation is for the shortcut. God, it's the first temptation Adam and Eve experienced. Oh, God said don't eat of that? Oh, it's because he knows that there's a shortcut over here. And every time we do it, rather than choosing to worship God, we want to be the God of our own lives. So God, my prayer today is, is that we would stop, we would evaluate our hearts and minds, and we would desire to develop discernment in our lives. That you are a loving Father who doesn't want to just answer it for us and do it for us, but you want us to become a certain person. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. Give us a desire. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.